0: Going down that dirt road.
1: Welcome to Lake Placid, New York's Olympic Village. It's home of the 1932 and 1980 Winter Olympics. Welcome to the show. We are Lake Placid. Brought to you by the Lake Placid News. I'm the editor, Andy Flynn, and we're celebrating all the people that make this one of the best places to live on Earth. If you're like me, you want to stay healthy. That's where Adirondack Health comes in. Their medically integrated fitness center is open in Lake Placid. Get a public membership. It includes access to an expansive fitness floor with top-of-the-line cardio equipment, strength training equipment, a 25-yard lap pool. You can sign up for yoga, spin, or aquatic classes or work with a private fitness coach. Maybe get medical programming designed just for you. Open Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. to 8 p.m., Saturday and Sunday, 8 to 4 You can sign up at ahmedicalfitness.org or call 518-523-8521. Adirondack Health, better health, better lives. It was a Monday, January 6th. Lake Placid News staff writer Elizabeth Izzo stopped by the Asable River Association office in Wilmington. And she spoke with Executive Director Kelly Tucker and Science and Stewardship Director Brendan Wiltsey about a new initiative to tackle the road salt problem in the region.
2: The Estable River Association has been around for over 20 years. It was actually founded by a group of concerned residents who teamed up with the National Park Service and they developed a study about what was needed here. And the result was the association Um, It's changed a lot. Uh, We started about five or six years ago professionalizing uh, the organization and being much more based in science and solution-oriented technical approaches. So, you know, building the clean water campaign that, that Brendan's built. Um, starting the work on stream restoration and replacing culverts that I've been leading, and increasingly some of the work we're doing in habitats with fish and frogs and other cool things. Um, so it's it's changed, but it's been around a long time, and we're still really tied to our community and supported by our community. Yeah.
3: So you delved into it a little bit there, but do you want to just take me through some of the things that the El Sabo River Association does?
2: Um, we have five broad programs. Um, the first is the clean water effort, and that's really focused on um, understanding um, water quality, um, both in terms of its ability to sustain the ecosystems and wildlife that we all work to protect here in the Adirondack Park, but also for the human benefits. You know, we, all, we drink our water. A lot. There are a lot of communities that still pull water from the O'Sable system. Um, we depend on groundwater. Um, and, you know, we love to recreate in it, so we expect there to be, you know, that beautiful water to swim in and fish from and those sorts of things. The second program is our stream health program. It's called Healthy Streams, Um, and that's really about identifying um, the stream or the river's ability, because we work on the small tributary streams as well as the river, its ability to care for itself, its ability to be flood resilient. Um, So... In some cases, we'll identify areas that need repair because it's in direct conflict with human infrastructure. So in those cases, we will go in and consider restoring a stream, making sure that it can retain its form and function so that it does what it's supposed to do. It can regenerate itself and reform itself. Um, Another part of that has been our Climate Ready Culvert Program. Um, We found out during Irene that and an enormous amount of the damage to our roadways was caused by undersized road stream crossings. Usually these tiny plastic pipes, they can be 12 to 30 inches, that take a 5-foot to 10-foot to 15-foot wide stream underneath a road. And if you just think about water being forced through a pipe, you can think about all the damage that can happen. So we've been working with a variety of partners and a number of funders to identify those key uh, culverts that cause problems in our communities, and we are slowly trying to replace those with larger structures. And the beauty of it is it benefits fish, it benefits the waterway, it reduces erosion, therefore reducing pollution. But the big win, too, is it reduces maintenance costs for towns, and it reduces floods and flood impacts on roads. It doesn't eliminate them 100%, but it can drastically reduce them. The third program's pretty new. It's our Biodiverse Habitats program, Um, and that's where our sort of key species are brook trout. This is one of the last great places, the Asable system, for brook trout Um, in their native habitat. We want to see them remain. We want to see them be healthy and strong. There are also lots of other cool critters in the watershed, and it's about maintaining that ecosystem viability and that habitat. And so those dense forested stream sides so that the erosion doesn't happen, so that the sediment doesn't go in the water and cover the fish eggs, right? It's all tied together so that birds have habitat and fish and frogs have habitat. Um, Our third program, our fourth program is about engaging our communities, finding ways, whether it's recreation um, or finding ways for them to really sort of get a hold of what's going on in their backyard to be a part of the solution. Um, we're learning a lot more about how to do that. Um, and then we're also really interested in, in people enjoying the river. So actually going out and, and finding low impact ways to to be in it and be with it. And we want people to enjoy the river. That's important to us.
3: And the association has started working on something uh, called the Ausable Sustainable Salt Initiative. What is that?
2: I'm going to turn that over to Dr. Wilsey, because he's really been, I think, the mastermind behind, in 2015, our water quality testing started with support from the New York State Department of State, and one of the first things we began to find was there might be something going on with Mirror Lake, and that was was Brendan figuring something out. So I'll turn it over to you, Brendan.
0: Yeah, so the Ausable Sustainable Salt Initiative is really recognizing that the We have a lot of scientific research and data on the impact of road salt on our surface water, on our groundwater, Um, also impacts our vehicles, our infrastructure, and um, really moving that beyond just documenting the problems and starting to find solutions. And so Mirror Lake is the focus of that program right now because it's the... um, I would say it's the most impacted lake in the Adirondacks from salt. It's certainly the most impacted in our watershed. And if we can figure out how to solve some of these challenges there, then it'll be a lot easier to expand, you know, out to other communities um, that are affected by this as well. Yeah,
3: so taking it back a little bit, for anyone who uh, might be listening who's not familiar with the impact of road salt on Mirror Lake, can you sort of summarize
0: that issue? Yes, yeah, so what happens is um, there's a lot of development right around Mirror Lake. There's a relatively small area of land that drains into it. And so during the wintertime, we're putting salt down on our sidewalks, parking lots, roads, entryways to our businesses or houses. Uh, For the most part, that water, uh, that runoff that results from that goes into a stormwater system that discharges directly to the lake. And the water coming out of those stormwater drains can be about the quarter, the concentration of seawater. And as a result, that water is denser than the water that's in the lake. And the lake is fairly small, so it flows along the bottom of the lake and accumulates at the very deepest part of the lake. And by the end of the winter you have this uh the whole lake has more salt in it than it should, but the top has, you know, a certain amount and the bottom has like twice as much. And that difference in salinity from the top bot to bottom uh prevents the lake from doing its natural turnover process. The analogy I like to tell people all the time is it's like Italian salad dressing, you gotta take the bottle out of the fridge and shake up the oil and vinegar before you put it on. Uh, on your salad and it's the same thing happening in mirror lake more energy has to be put into that lake to get it to turn over because we have these two layers of different density and uh, right now with mirror lake it's there's not enough energy available to get the for the lake to do that and so that water at the bottom stays trapped down there and it doesn't have enough oxygen to support fish and uh, other life that depend on oxygen and there's also a bunch of chemical uh, things that happen, phosphorus gets released out of the sediments, and the list goes on. So it's there's not many lakes in the country that are have had this documented, and so we want to see that that turnover in the lake restored.
3: Yeah. So if the turnover doesn't happen, if it continues to be interrupted, it could mean the the trout population is gone. It could mean that there's a potential for algae blooms, right?
0: Yeah, we could. Um, the lake trout are the fish we talk about the most and their habitat is reduced as a result of this. They're still there and there's still nice big fish in the lake, but we, uh, some outstanding questions are whether or not that population is replacing itself or if it's just being supported by the stocking efforts. Um, if the lake ever didn't turn over in the fall, there's a very good chance that we would see a fish kill, which could be more than just the lake trout. It could be a lot of the other species too. And the leaching of the phosphorus out of the lake sediments into the water at the bottom of the lake does mean the lake is more susceptible to an algae bloom. And so, so far we haven't seen any of that. The fish are still there that we haven't seen algae blooms in the lake. And so you know, this is really about restoring the lake's resilience to those sort of things occurring and and hopefully preventing or at least reducing the chance that they would happen in the future.
3: Has there been some progress in reducing the road salt uh, contamination?
0: Um, The village and town have both done different things. Um, So, the Village of Lake Placid is switched to uh, drop spreader on their sidewalk spreader. And so they used to use what's called a broadcast spreader. And that if you're behind a plow truck, that's what most of them use. That the stuff comes down and gets flung out all over the place. Um, a drop spreader is just sort of lays the salt directly below the spreader. Um, so that we don't know how much of a... Re- savings that is produced because we're not measuring the amount of salt applied that specifically and then the town of North Elba has um, bought a what's called a live-edge plow and so normal plows are just a solid piece of steel on the bottom the live-edge plows the bottom of the plow actually conforms to the shape of the road and so they can scrape more off with the plow meaning they don't have to put as much material down behind their trucks So those are both, um, you know, efforts that the town and village have made. And and New York State DOT is also exploring live edge plow technology around Mirror Lake on their section of road and some other double-bladed plow technology. And then just this winter, through the support of a grant from the Lake Champlain Basin Program, we are starting to outfit the town and village uh, plow trucks and sidewalk spreader with technology that'll let the the town and village see where their vehicles are in near real time and how much material is coming out of the back of them. and that's the sort of information that will allow them to really look at their operation and find areas they might be able to improve either maybe a truck spreader needs to be calibrated more frequently or, um, you know, they can give further training to their drivers if that's necessary, or investments in more live-edge plows or some other type of equipment. So it's that has been the missing piece of information for a while and now they're going to have that and it's going to let them see what they're doing in a way that they've never been able to see before and should lead to uh, major reductions in the amount of salt that they're using.
2: And it's a big boon for us because understanding what's going down and what's going in allows the science to sort of see when there are changes well how is that related to the inputs Um, and that's an important connection that we've not been able to make and that a lot of other lakes haven't been able to make so we you know in some senses we're lucky that the lake is smaller The perimeter is well defined it's a fantastic model for understanding how can you turn this around how do you turn this around
3: and is it possible to turn around
0: i think absolutely um you know the lake turned over in the spring of 2016 and that was after a particularly mild winter so that just by luck that happened (laughs) and that really showed us that you know it's possible and and so what we need to do is get the salt reduction to overcome the variability in winter so that it's happening consistently and not just you know, in particular years where the winter is, is mild. So that winter in the Lake George area, they put down 30 to 40% less salt compared to the year prior, and they know that because they've been measuring their application rates. So that gives us a little bit of a hint that maybe that's really all we need to achieve but now that we're gonna have the data on the salt application and our data in the lake, we'll be able to refine that to a very specific number once we have a couple of years worth of data to, to give the town, the village, the state, and then all the businesses are a big component too, a number of here's how much of a reduction we need to achieve and here's you know sort of how we can parse that out across all these different stakeholders to get to that goal. Okay.
3: And it sounds like this sort of stemmed from that ongoing research, is that right?
2: Yeah, this this was an effort, I mean, we really believe that you know science leads to solutions, but it doesn't lead to solutions in and of itself. It, it, it requires stewardship, it, it requires very active partnerships. So um, we reached out to some of the business leaders in the community, as well as the elected leaders of the community very early in the process. Um, Brendan has had ongoing conversations, attends meetings, but the idea of a a a Sable Sustainable Salt Initiative kind of started coalescing around the group in Muir Lake that was just so interested in moving this forward as an idea for their area. So it you know, the Muir Lake project has become sort of a first uh, a first attempt to really think more broadly about salt application rates and their impacts and our ability to understand those and understand the effects on our waterways throughout the Isabel. Um So I think, you know, we're looking forward to see how this rolls out. Going downhill.
1: For more on this story and the latest news in sports from New York's Olympic region, check out the Lake Placid News. We're on stands now. Or, if you insist, check us out online at www.lakeplacidnews.com. Special thanks to Dan Berggren for providing our music. Learn more about Dan and his fascinating story, a life in radio, education, and folk music at berggrenfolk.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Andy Flynn, editor at the Lake Placid News. We are Lake Placid.